Please turn to Genesis chapter 19. (laughs) Yes. Today and one more week next week, Lord willing, for chapter 19. Last week we looked at the, the behavior of those, of the men of Sodom. This week we'll look at more specifically at, at Lot. And then I want to take some time to look at all of the verses that have to do with homosexuality. And we'll just touch on them because I believe there's six of them and then a few other verses. And then we'll look at how the church, we'll close with how the church should respond. So I'm going to read Genesis 19 verses 1 through 17. Then I'll read Second Peter chapter 2 verses 6 through 9, which has to do with Lot. Starting in verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house, Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city. Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out of, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere on the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And then second Peter chapter two verses six through nine. And turning to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who are afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment so because of the account that we have there in second Peter we know that Lot was a righteous man. We know that Lot was a believer. If not for that account, if not for Second Peter, we wouldn't know that Lot was a believer. By looking at his life, we wouldn't know that. But it says there in verses 7 and 8 of Second Peter, three times, one time would have been enough, but it says three times that Lot was a righteous man. It could have been because his life was so suspicious to us that we needed to be reminded three times of this truth for us to know Lot was one of God's people. Lot was one of... God's elect. Lot was a believer. He's in heaven today. And then also, so we wouldn't just think, well, I guess he must have been one of those 
deathbed conversions. Maybe he was converted sometime after the accounts that we read in Genesis 19. Then he became a believer because it doesn't look like it in, when he was living there in Sodom. It didn't look like it before. But, um, but so that we would know that he was saved, he was a believer, he was a righteous man while in Sodom. The scriptures say that. He tormented, he, he vexed his righteous soul. While he was in Sodom, he was a believer. The time of his conversion is not made clear. It would have been sometime before he was in Sodom. But we don't, we don't see when he specifically turned to the Lord. Lot's life doesn't look spiritual. He looks like he went based off of his, his feelings, his emotions. All through his life, we don't see him making decisions based off of spiritual realities or based off of upon what the Lord says. Even when when their herdsmen were, were fighting, Lot's herdsmen and, and and Abraham's herdsmen were fighting with each other, and Abraham gave Lot the choice of where he wanted to live. It says in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10, it says, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And then he made his decision to live there based upon what he saw, based upon what he thought looked good to to him. And then it says there about Sodom that the men there were exceedingly wicked, exceedingly sinful, but he still chose to live there anyways, rather than being influenced by his uncle Abraham, who was building altars and worshiping the Lord and taught him to worship and follow the Lord. He chose to live and be influenced by those men of Sodom, who the Lord says were exceedingly wicked. And Lot chose to live there he wasn't forced to live there. He chose to live there with his family. He chose to have that in influence over him. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It says do not be deceived because people think that they could be around sinful people. They could be around sinful lifestyles and not be influenced by them. But the scriptures do say that. Evil company corrupts good habits or good behavior. Lot thought he would be okay to live there in Sodom. But he wasn't. It had an influence over him. It affected him. It says there in Second Peter that I read in chapter 2, he was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. He was tormented in his, in his soul, his righteous soul, from day to day, seeing and hearing what went on there in Sodom. The fact was that, that he was affected by it. It did affect him in a, in a very negative way. And that's, that's one of the reasons we know that, that, he, was, um, that he was a righteous person, though. Because it tormented his righteous soul. He couldn't enter into the sin. So there's nothing that shows us that Lot was influenced by the, the sexual behavior of the Sodomites. But something did attract him there. John, did you have something? I thought. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like you're going to say something. Okay. Um, but, but he, he was affected by by the behavior there. He wasn't, he wasn't there because of the, the sin, especially not that flagrant, flagrant kind of sin that, that they were involved in, but he was attracted to Sodom. He was drawn to Sodom. And because of that, and because of the, the herdsmen arguing with each other, there was a, a division between him and his uncle. He should have, as I mentioned before, he should have stayed with his uncle. That would have been the best place for him spiritually, but he didn't. And he went to live there. And we can wonder, what is it that attracted him to Sodom? It wasn't that sin, but something attracted him there. And what I would think is the warnings that the scriptures give us to not love the world, to not be attracted to the things of the world. Sodom to Lot was a picture of the, wor- of the world to him. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. And then it, it defines or it describes what the world is. It says that the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So this is what the world offered to, 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 to Lot. And this is what the world offers to every one of us. It, it appeals to our, to, our, to our fleshly desires, the entertainment of it, the, the money that it offers us, the, the prestige, the popularity that, that, it, that it offers to us. So Sodom was the world to Lot. It offered him comfortable and secure living. Remember, he was living in tents with Abraham, but he, he had a house there in, in Sodom. It offered him business opportunities, increasing his wealth. Social and political friends were there that, that he had to increase his wealth. And Lot gladly became a resident of Sodom. 
And there are so many bad decisions that people will make because they are chasing after wealth or because they are chasing after personal gain. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Charles Spurgeon once said that money is a good servant but a bad master. So we need to be careful with, with money, with how we use it, and be sure that it doesn't use us. Lot was also rescued from Keterleomer. And you think that when Abraham rescued him and, and brought them all back and, and rescued all those from Sodom and all the goods that they had, Lot could have said, you know what? Okay, I, I, I've done messed up. I'm going to stay with you, Abraham, if that's okay. Let's try to work things out. But what did he do? He went back to live in Sodom. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And, and, and Lot wasn't thinking about these things. Lot wasn't considering the condition of his life. He wasn't considering the bad influence that Sodom had for him. You know, but there is a very surprising contrast that we see in Genesis 19. A contrast in how he showed hospitality to the angels who he thought at the time were just men, travelers who were coming to Sodom. How he, how he showed hospitality to them and how he cared for them versus, versus how he cared for his own family, how he cared for his wife, his wife's spiritual condition. We're not told much about that, but we see her response that kind of gives us an idea of how he cared for his wife, his daughters, how he cared for his, even how he cared for his sons and all. And we look at his witness, his witness that he had with the men of Sodom. All of that, we, we don't see a, a man who is doing well at all, right? To say the least. But when we, when we look at his care for the men who came to him, the, the strangers who came, we see in Lot wonderful hospitality. From the beginning when he's going and, and bowing before them, greeting them, showing respect to them, and, and he's calling them to stay into his house. He's providing for them to stay at his house. Some people, they would say, well, I don't have any room in my house, but, but Lot made sure, like in an instant, he just saw them that night, within a few hours, he's already having, he already has a place for them to stay at his house. He made them a feast, baked unleavened bread, washed their feet, providing for these strangers. And then he wants them to stay there. That way, first thing in the morning, he can get them out of the city. He's caring for, for the welfare of these strangers, doing everything that he can to take care of them. His hospitality was wonderful. How he treated them, complete strangers, was wonderful. But then when we look at his family life and his spiritual influence over the, the men of Sodom, there's such a contrast there. And, and, and I think that this can be a, 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 a true thing that happens to people, to believers. Those things in our life that we consider as mundane, our, our close relationships, our close connections, we can neglect those. But when some new ministry comes our way or some new opportunity comes our way, we can give ourselves to it fully. We can see this grand new idea and think I'm going to give all my time and all my effort, all my money to that one thing. But how are we doing when it comes to those closest to us, our closest relationships, our spouses, our children, be, uh, believing children in the home? How are they in, in relationship to their parents? Are they obedient? Are they following the Lord and are they showing that in their closest relationships? And we can do this. Those who we, esteem, we see to be, those that we esteem as someone to be respected, we can try to work real hard and we want to look good to that brother or sister in Christ. We can try to be very helpful, very productive. But what about how we look to those who are closest to us? Do we care about how, how they view us? Or do we all of a sudden just shift into a lifestyle that's very comfortable and maybe even not as spiritual as, as we should be in those everyday, average, day-to-day -day relationships? There is a, a fault that we can fall to there. And, and it looks like that's what happened with Lot. He did very well, impeccable in his relationship towards these strangers for that short time. It would have been just for the night as far as he was concerned. But the day-to-day -day he neglected. So let's look at our text here in verses, starting in verse 5. Genesis 19, starting in verse 5. It says, And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, 
and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the manlock and came near to break down the door. So we looked at this this text last week. These these men were, were homosexuals and they wanted to abuse the men who were there at Lot's house. So let so Lot went outside and shut the door behind him and he tried to reason with them, putting him between the door and the angels were in, on the inside of his house and he was trying to reason with this crowd of men who were in front of them. Again, he was doing whatever he could to protect these strangers, even endangering himself in order to calm down the crowd of men that were on the outside. Notice there in verse 9. In verse 9 it says that they pressed hard against the man Lot. Press hard there in verse 9 is the same root word that's in verse 3. When the angels came and, and, and Lot first saw them there in the open square. And it says that Lot insisted strongly that they come in and stay at his house. Well, press hard and insisted strongly come from the same root Hebrew word. So when Lot saw them, he wasn't just saying, well, if you'd like to, you can stay at my house. He was insistent. He was very persistent with them, even almost forcefully bringing them into his house. He wouldn't take no for an answer because he knew about the, the the wickedness that would happen and the wickedness that they would face. Again, like I said, Lot did a great job taking care of the strangers, but a terrible job with the men there in Sodom. Even even what he says to them there in verse 7, he says, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. It was good that he rebuked their, their, their behavior. He called it acting wickedly, but he called them brethren. He called them brethren. The men of Sodom, they were not Hebrews. They didn't worship the same God that he worshiped. They weren't even influenced by, by, by Lot in a way to where they were, they had some kind of profession or they said they wanted to follow with him in, in the worship of his God. There, there was no reason that he should have been calling them brethren. They, they showed no sign of being believers. And I'm not saying that we should be like, we should be so critical to where people got to jump through a bunch of hoops where we can say, yes, you're a brother now. I call you a brother. It should not be that way. If someone says that they're a believer, we should give them the benefit of the doubt and call them a believer and treat them as such. But these men in Sodom were not believers. At the height of their sin, he is calling them brethren. That, that brings confusion. And there is, there is a tendency to want to identify with people. God made us to be relational, and we do want to identify with people. And, and there's a common truth to that. Those who are unbelievers, if there is something that we have in common with them, whether it's politics, sports, some kind of hobby, something that we have in common regarding our work or our work ethic, we do want to relate with one another, and that's fine. But when it comes to people being brothers and sisters, fellow brothers and sisters, the Scriptures teach that everybody is created by God. Everybody is God's creation, God's creature, but not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody is a son or daughter of God. Only those who are following Christ, only those who are walking with God, who have a love for God, who can call God their father and show it in their lives are those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Even 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 tells us not to keep company with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral. Of course, Lot didn't have these scriptures. He didn't have the full canon of the scriptures, but we do. So we can we can look at his life, we can look at the scriptures, and we can apply them to our lives and learn from his testimony. Calling them brethren, he should not have done. Then he offered them his two virgin daughters. And this was a problem back then. The people viewed their daughters and even their wives as property. But... A man or a woman who was created in God's image should never be viewed as the property of someone else. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God's image isn't, a phys- isn't of a physical man. God is spirit. So both male and female are created in God's image. And then there's Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. Women are any lesser than men. 
Men and women both have different roles in the family and they have different roles in the church, but women aren't of any less value or any less worth than men. And, and we see that if you read through history, especially missionaries going into pagan nations, those who, different cultures and different societies who don't follow God's word always take advantage of the women. They treat women as if they are lesser, as if they are of less value than men. And it's only through the scriptures, it's only through the truth of God's word that this is corrected, that this is fixed. I would think that women are taken advantage of by men because they are they are weaker. So they're taken advantage of because they're weaker. Also, God made women to be submissive. They are to be submissive to their husbands. So there's going to be this natural innate submissiveness. So they tend to yield to their to, to their abuser rather than defend against it, rather than cry out against it and reject it. Just the way God made men to be leaders in order to lead their wives, to lead their families. There is these innate characteristics in, in men and women. But where there is no truth and where men are not yielded to God's word, they take advantage of, of women. You know, people will say today that chivalry is dead. But when men are living according to the scriptures, women are taken care of. Not just that, but where men and women are living and yielding themselves according to God's word, all of those who the, who the world sees as weak are taken care of. Whether it's children, the elderly, whether it's sick or, or the handicapped, it's because of God's truth to us that people tend to not care for themselves so much, not be so selfish and self-centered, and start caring for all those around them. And even when they see someone who has a weakness, those who are strong are to care for those who are weak. Well, Lot failed to protect his daughters. He offered to hand them over to either be sexually abused or even be killed. And even those who have, who have ex- experienced sexual abuse will say that it's like a part of them dying. Well, these homosexual men did not want Lot's daughters. But even though they did not want Lot's daughters and they didn't take advantage of what Lot offered to them, his daughters had to have heard him. His daughters had to have heard him offering offering them to these men. And what kind of emotional damage would that do to them? We can also compare Abraham's care for Isaac and how he, how he cared for Isaac versus how Lot cared for his daughters. When Abraham sends his servant out to find a wife for his son Isaac, he tells them, he makes him swear that he would not get a woman from the Canaanites. He sent him out to go find someone from his family, someone from his country, but he did not want his son to marry a Canaanite. And this was not a racist thing in any way. He wanted a son, he wanted a wife for his son that was influenced by his God. And he found, he found a, a woman who was influenced by his God. There was already an influence of the worship of the one true God there among his family where he came from, even though God called him to Canaan. There was an influence there and he found a wife for Isaac. But what, what is Lot doing? He's offering his daughters to, to the men to do to, to do to them whatever they would like. He also had them betrothed to these men of Sodom who were Canaanites, who were idolaters, and they were not following the one true God. They were not worshiping God. The Lord doesn't give us their names, his son-in-laws, those who were to marry his daughters. We don't know what their names were. All that we know about them is what we see there in verse 14. In verse 14, Lot went to them to warn them to get out of the city. The angels told him, go get anyone that... Get anyone that you can, bring them out with you, for we're going to destroy this place. There in verse 14, he said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And we can think that's a very serious thing for Lot to do. Just out of the blue, get up, get out of this place. God is going to destroy this city. That's a very serious claim to say, a very shocking claim to say. And what was the response of his son-in-laws? They thought he was joking. He seemed to be joking to them. It is true that spiritual truths are not received by unspiritual people. It even says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It says that in the scriptures, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And these were the men who Lot was willing to give his daughters to a marriage. They weren't homosexual men, but they had no love for the Lord. They would not have been any good to his daughters. And why would they think that he was joking? 
about such a serious claim. We can think, were his, were his conversations with them all jokes? Was he just a jokester with them in the past? Did, did Lot have any serious conversations with them? Did he ever talk to them about marriage, about parenting, about providing for his daughters? He was going to marry them off to these men. Did he have any serious conversations with them? Well, there, there is a time and place for joking. We can think about that. It's good to laugh. It's good to have fun. Some people need to laugh more. Some people need to laugh less. But in all of our relationships with one another, we all need to have an ability to have serious conversations with each other. Serious conversations to where if we were joking, it would be out of place. Lot doesn't seem like he had that with these, with these young men. Look at verse 15. Starting in verse 15. It says, When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. It says, And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that they said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. A lot lingered. We can wonder, why did why was Lot lingering? He's being rescued. Sodom is going to be destroyed. We, we know the rest of the chapter. We know the rest of the story. Why in the world is Lot lingering? Why is he dragging his feet as these angels are whisking him, his wife, and his daughters away? All that I can think is that Lot... Lot was overwhelmed by everything that was going on. Lot obviously was not seeing the big picture. Lot didn't go to Sodom in order to be dragged out of the place like this. He went there thinking things were going to be better for him, thinking things were, were going to be good for him, his family, and now he's being dragged out like this and, and he, he just can't wrap his mind around it. Everything, everything in Lot's life was always, it seemed like he catered to himself. He always did what he wanted, chose what he wanted. He always chose what seemed to be good for him, and he got what seemed to be good for him. Even when he was with Abraham, Abraham did. it seemed like Abraham, in some cases, bent over backwards in order to take care of his nephew. Thinking that it, his father had died at a young age, Abraham now is a father to him, and he was a spiritual father to him as well. And he took care of Lot very well. Lot had whatever he wanted. And now he's being dragged out of Sodom, losing his house, losing all of his livestock, losing all of his, his wealth all of his connections, and he just can't get over the fact that he's losing it all. And he's trying to process this while the angels are practically dragging him out of there, and he wants things to slow down. He wants to think about things, maybe kind of find some way to figure it out and make it work out in his case, but it's not happening that way. And he's having a a very difficult time with this. And he's leaving Sodom with, with nothing but the clothes on his back. But not just that. The Lord in his mercy isn't just taking Lot. The Lord is also taking his daughters and his wife. But he's so self-consumed with self-pity that he can't even see that. That He's not even noticing God's mercy in favoring Lot and rescuing him and his family from Sodom. The Lord was very merciful to him. And we can even see the Lord's mercy to him. There's two angels coming, two angels walking in because, because of Lot's confusion and, and even the whole family, even his, his wife, we know she, that she eventually turns around and, and God judges her. And she dies there, turns into a pillar of salt. But as they are trying to process this, as they are confused, as they are wanting to hold on to Sodom, what do the angels do? They grab them by the hands. One hand for Lot, one hand for Lot's wife, the other angel with his hand for his daughter and his other hand for his other daughter. That is the kind of mercy that the Lord is showing to Lot and his family. Lot was guaranteed that he was going to be rescued from Sodom. It says there, while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. And I, I got thinking, this reminds me of a John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, where our Lord Jesus said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And Jesus says, I and my Father are one. No one will snatch us out of, out of Christ's hand or his Father's hand. Spiritually, that's, that's where we are. Spiritually, no one is going to be able to snatch us out of Jesus' hand. No one is going to be able to snatch us out of his Father's hand. We will not face destruction. We will not face judgment because we are in God's hands. And it was the same way for Lot and his family. Because of their confused mental state, they were guaranteed to be rescued from Sodom. And and their security wasn't in their own ability to, to escape judgment, to escape destruction. Their security was in these angels, these, these strong angels. There was no way that Lot and his family were going to stay in Sodom. They're absolutely guaranteed to be delivered from the destruction before God judged this city. You know, the greatest thing that we can learn from this, not just from these verses right here, but the entire account of Lot's life. The greatest thing we can learn from Lot's life is what? That God doesn't need our help to save us. God doesn't need us to add anything to salvation. There's nothing we need to add to it. There's nothing we, we need to do to ensure our salvation to confirm our salvation. God can save us all by himself. And he doesn't need our help. That's what we can learn. If you want to learn something from Lot regarding salvation, it's that God doesn't need our help in our salvation. If anyone was a reluctant convert, it was Lot. His life is given to us in the scriptures, maybe to teach us that we can do better. Not for us to say, well, look at Lot. Well, then that means that I can I can live however I want to live. That's not what we should learn. But we should learn... I can do better than that. Maybe I'm not going to be an Abraham. Abraham looks like a very faithful Christian in a lot of things. Not everything, of course. But I can do better than Lot. Another thing that we can learn from Lot's life, the entire picture that we see of Lot's life, is that Arminianism is false. Those who God saves, he is going to save them. And he doesn't need their help to get them saved. Our salvation is not up to us. We don't have to do our part. We don't have to add anything. God is fine to save us all by himself without us adding anything to it. 100% God. There's nothing we need to add to our salvation in order to secure it. We also see God's mercy there in verse 12. The angel said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place. In verse 9, it says that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. The angels came to rescue Lot. Because of God's love for Lot, Lot was one of God's elect. He was one of God's people. The angels came to rescue Lot. But because of God's love for Lot, he was also offered to bring his spouse out with him, his children, his in-laws with him. And it doesn't just say that. It also says, whomever you have in the city, I see that as an open invitation. Anyone that Lot wanted to bring with them, whomever. Is, is there anyone that Lot had any connections with? Is there anyone there in Sodom that didn't want that kind of lifestyle that Lot was ministering to? That Lot would say, you know what, there's this man down this street, let, let me go grab him. Was there anyone that Lot had an, a spiritual influence over that he could grab? And they would have waited. They would have waited. I take that as saying there wasn't a single person that if Lot would have said, well, I want to bring out this, this one young man, the angels would end and said, no, not him. No, they said, whomever you have in the city, is there anyone that you have other than your next of kin, other than your family who is here, go and grab them and bring them with you. The Holman Christian says there, or anyone else in the city that you have who belongs to you. Anyone who belongs to you. They already mentioned his, 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 his family, his wife, his children, his in-laws. So who is this, whomever you have in the city, who is this referring to? Anyone he was ministering to. Lot could have been in Sodom winning souls. And at that last moment, in, the, in an instant, going and grabbing and saying, this is it, you need to go with me now. God's going to destroy this place. My God sent two of his angels to me and he's going to destroy this place. Come with me now. But there was no one. There was no one that he could grab. 
So with the rest of the time we have, I want to look at these um, passages on homosexuality, which we don't have much time. Um, I just want to go through all of them. Let's do that. So the first one is going to be, uh, there are six passages through the scriptures that I see that clearly refer to this sin. And I don't think it's ever, I guess you could say, necessary to find any catalog of sins and pick one out and say, well, let's do a study about this sin, especially not in a context like this. But when I think about how the world has sought to take this sin out of the catalog of sins in the scriptures and make this into an alternate pattern of life and redefine marriage, redefine gender, redefine manhood and womanhood. They, since, since that's what's going on in, in culture and society and the world and our country, well, it's important for us to, as believers, know what the scriptures say about this. So quickly, the first one is Genesis 19. That's the chapter we're looking at, so we don't need to talk about that, but that has to do with this sin. Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. There's two verses in those two chapters. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. It was a capital offense in the Old Testament times. There's Romans chapter 1 verse 26 through 28. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty for their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. So we looked at that passage last week, so we don't need to going to depth about that. The next one is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. We need to include verse 11 because that reminds us, that reassures us that God saves from all groups of sinful people. Everyone can be saved. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Someone asked, why there in verse 9 it, it says homosexuals and sodomites. Why it says it twice if they're the same thing. Well, homosexual is translated from the Greek malakoi, which can also mean soft or effeminate. This is the submissive partner. Sodomite is translated from arsenokoitai, which is the dominant partner. We don't need to get into any more about that, but... God does differentiate the two homosexuals. And these were probably new Greek words. New Greek words that the Apostle Paul had coined. But they match up clearly with the passages in Leviticus 18 and 20. In Leviticus 18, 22 and 20 and verse 13. In the Greek Septuagint, in that account, which was in circulation in the Apostle Paul's time, and the Apostle Paul had had those, those scriptures accessible to him, they match up clearly with that. When scholars look at what he says there and they look at the Septuagint, Septuagint's account of the Leviticus passages, they say, Paul is talking about the same thing. That is why the Message Bible, and I do want to mention this, the Message Bible does a disservice to the scriptures when it translates those verses. And I'm going to read from the Message Bible and you can look at your version and compare it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10, through 10, I'm going to read it according to the Message. It says, don't you realize that this is not the way you the, don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth. I was thinking, what does that mean? Use and abuse the earth and everything in it don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. 
nothing of homosexuality. Just use and abuse sex. Well, everyone can agree with that. Don't use and abuse sex. And it makes sense when we realize that the author of that is Eugene Peterson, a Presbyterian pastor for 29 years. He retired in 91. And in 2017, he was asked in an interview what his views were on same-sex marriage. And his response was, it's not a right or wrong thing as far as I'm concerned. And then he was asked, would you marry a, would, would you marry a homosexual partner if they were going to your church and, and walking with God? They, they try to word it like that. Would you marry two people who are homosexuals? And he responded, yes. Straight, yes. This is the one who authored the message Bible. Well, that very day, the largest Christian retail chain announced that they were going to look into what he said and if he did indeed support same-sex marriage, that its stores can no longer sell his books. The previous year, they, they cut off another famous author, popular author, coming up in the ranks and, and said that they're no longer going to sell her books because she also affirmed same-sex marriage. And now they give the announcement about, about what Eugene Peterson said in that interview. They had a, 135 titles of his books. A lot of them were different versions of the Message Bible. But he, he's written a lot of books. Very well known among evangelical circles. They gave that announcement, but you know what? Today his books are still there. Why are his books still there? Well, because he retracted his statement the very next day. The very next day in another art interview, he said that, no, he, he sees that marriage is to be between a man and a woman. I retract everything I said in that previous interview. And we can wonder, can we switch our beliefs that simple? Do you think this is a sin, yes or no? Would you marry someone like this, yes or no? Could we switch our beliefs from day to day? So the next passage we have on this subject is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. It says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers or fathers, for the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites. That's the Greek word arsenikoitais that we saw in the previous passage. For kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, he's saying I could go on and on mentioning sin, but we don't need to do that. So that's, that's the last passage where it's spoken of clearly through the scriptures. Six passages through the Bible. God is clear on this. It's sin. It's, it's clear. And I stress that because we know there are a lot of people that are trying to say, well, it's not very clear in the scriptures. Jesus never addressed it. They would say, well, you know, Jesus never addressed bestiality. He never addressed incest. He addressed sexual morality and all of that kind of sin goes under, all that kind of sexual sin goes under sexual morality. Jesus did define marriage for us between a man and a woman. Between a man and a woman for life. Another passage we have, so I'm going to give a few that are not real clear, but we can definitely glean off of them and, and see that it fits God's blueprint for marriage between being between a man and a woman, showing that homosexuality is, has no place according to God. Another one is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 has to do with the subject. It says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. There's a passage on on this that has to do with this in Deuteronomy. About that passage in Deuteronomy, I saw a video about a, a man. He calls himself a detransitioner. He's someone who went to live for eight years as a woman and then he was uh, he became a believer in Jesus Christ and he, he, he switched back to being a man and and now he's a follower of Christ. And he traces his childhood. And he says the things that influenced him in his confusion to follow after this kind of lifestyle. He said when he was a four-year-old child, his grandmother showed him a dress and would put that dress on him. And she would affirm him as he would wear that dress. So it's kept a secret, be, be, kept a secret with his grandma from his parents. Eventually his parents found out what was going on. His dad was so mad at, the, at his mother-in-law, but... The man said his dad didn't know how to, how to take out his anger. He started abusing the boy. Then his, his uncle, the dad's brother, found out about it and started sexually abusing him. He said all this happened before he was 10 years old. And that led to emotional and mental confusion in his head. It began with wearing a dress. Well, that passage 
is a, a popular one in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. It says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put, a, put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. There is a reason why God gives us these truths in the scriptures, to protect us from confusion, to protect us from harm, to protect us from sin. <clears throat> Jesus did mention marriage between a man and a woman. Then he went and he mentioned that it has to do with creation. It says in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This sin is an attack on marriage. It's an, an attack on God's created order, created, creating man and woman. God created them in his image. Man and woman to come together to be a marriage, to unite with one another, to have children, we know the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. There are no children that can come from their offspring. It's an attack on having children, an attack on marriage, on God's created order. And it's attack, it's also an attack on the picture that marriage gives to us in Ephesians chapter 5. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The husband is a picture of Jesus Christ leading her, taking care of her. The wife is a picture of the church to Christ. Submitting to Christ, as the church submits to Christ, the wife is to submit to her husband. As Christ leads the church and is the head of the church, the husband is, a, is to lead his wife. That, that picture is completely lost when it's a man with a man or a woman with a woman. It's an attack on the picture of marriage being a, it's an attack on marriage being a picture of Christ and his church. So. Let me see how much time we have left. How should the church respond? A couple, more, a few more minutes and then we'll be done. Well, we need to instruct on this issue. But most of all, we need to instruct our children. We need to instruct our children on the issue of marriage. That marriage is something that God honors. That marriage is something that is to be esteemed, it says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. And we also need to be a good example to our children of what marriage is. Not to be arguing with each other. You know, a lot of people would say when they get older that they're not interested in marriage because they look at how their parents always argued with each other. And they would say when they got older, no, it's not for me. Unless I find the perfect partner, unless I find the perfect one out there, I'm not going to get married. And you have men and women waiting decade after decade, waiting to get married because they haven't found the perfect one. All because their parents showed them, well, marriage isn't something that they want. It's not something that's very interesting, something that's boring. It's something that's difficult. I have enough difficulty in my own life. Why am I going to attach myself to another difficult person? I think if moms and dads teach that marriage is, is a good thing, it's, it's God's ideal plan. Unless the exception is for God to have you be single and to worship him in your singleness. But marriage is, is something that's a blessing. The scriptures say that. The scriptures teach us, rejoice with the wife of your youth, always be enraptured with her love, and then vice versa. Husbands and wives are to enjoy one another, to be encouraged to marry to each other, to, to be married to each other, to serve one another as they serve God together. The last thing is that fathers play a huge role in protecting their sons. In a homosexual book that was written in the 90s, it gives about 16 accounts of different homosexual men. And every single one of them said, I had a major problem with my dad. And I can think that's why it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and you fathers, it says, you fathers, not parents in general, but fathers in particular, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Then there's Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The scriptures tell us that as fathers, as leaders in the home, we can be mean, we can be unreasonable, we can be overbearing, and we shouldn't be that way. Many, many men in, the, in homosexual lifestyles were driven to that kind of lifestyle because of their fathers. Because they didn't get the love and acceptance and affection that they wanted from their fathers, so they went and sought that from other men. 
They, they, they say that. A lot of men who come out of homosexuality will say that. They acknowledge the fault was their own, but they, they trace back their childhood. And they see a lot of what happens in our childhood affects us for life, and it, it ruins us for life. In a small booklet what's called What's a Father to Do? It says there that fathers should do two, three things for their children. Mothers too, but fathers specifically should do three things for their children. Give to their children words of affirmation. Give them quality time and physical touch. Those three things. It's very important for fathers to do this. As I said, mothers should do this too, but also fathers. It says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26, Give me your heart. Proverbs 23, verse 26, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. When fathers have their sons' hearts and their daughters' hearts, that's when their sons and daughters are being attentive to them and they can show them how to live, what's right and what's wrong, and they can give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's where the breakdown is. Uh, a lot of these children don't have this connection between their moms and dads. And, and I got thinking about it. There, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of young men and, and wicked, wicked lifestyles, even in prison. And they always say, well, I really love my mom. My mom was always there for me. And that's a, that's a great thing. But the breakdown is, is their fathers weren't there for them. Their fathers weren't in the picture. And, and there is something of having the fathers in the home, the strength of the father, that keeps people, young men and young women, from a lot of wickedness. From, living, from, from a lot of sinful hurt that they could experience in the, wor- in the world. When fathers are reaching, either doing one of two things, when fathers either have their children's hearts or are doing everything they can to work towards their children's hearts, that's where they need to be as fathers in the home. And, and I think that, that is one way that we can really help when it comes to this, this problem we have in our culture. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths in your word. We pray that you would 